want to thank our Youth Minister Philip Brooks for filling in for me while I was in a meeting last week in uh, Florida, and I'll have three more meetings uh, this year, and so he'll be filling in for me three more times. But Philip is a great young man and I believe has a tremendous future as a gospel preacher. He does a tremendous job for a young man as inexperienced as he is. So I do hope that you enjoyed him proclaiming his proclaiming of the guest message of Jesus Christ last week, and do hope and pray that you'll listen very intently to the lesson this morning. We always, now before getting into the lesson, invite our friends and neighbors to worship with us at the Rainbow Drive Church of Christ, 2201 Rainbow Drive in Gadsden. Our Bible study is at 9.30, our worship hour at 10.30, and our evening worship hour tonight is at 6 o'clock p.m. Our midweek Bible study is at 7 o'clock p.m., and we always extend to you that very cordial invitation to come and to worship with us. I want to preach to you this morning from John, the 13th chapter, the 34th verse, a passage of Scripture that's well known by most of you, but... Open up your Bibles and let's read it together, and that'll be our text for this morning. Where Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, even as I have loved you, that by that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. This has been called by some people the forgotten commandment, by other people the ignored commandment, overlooked commandment, yet Jesus called it a new commandment. And understand that it was a commandment, not an option, not a matter of volition on our part, but a command from Jesus. But he said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Have you ever wondered why Jesus called it a new commandment? View the fact that love has always been dominant in God's teachings. In every dispensation, you can read about the fact that God demanded love on the part of his subjects, and he has always required that his subjects be a people of love. It was in the Mosaic dispensation that Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was in Matthew, the 22nd chapter. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, all of thy mind, all of thy strength, and all of thy soul. And the second is likened unto it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hinge the law and the prophets. It was in the Mosaic Dispensation, Jesus living in the Mosaic Dispensation, that he uttered the words in Matthew 7 and 12. Even so as you would have others do unto you, do ye also unto them. So love has always been dominant in the teachings of God, always been required on the part of God's servants. They have to be people of love, people of compassion, people of concern. Just as faith, salvation has always been by faith. You know, the Bible teaches that salvation is by faith. No question about that. And salvation has always been by faith. Been by faith in the, under the Old Testament dispensation, and it's by faith in the New Testament dispensation. Read Hebrews 11 chapter, the great faith chapter. By faith, uh, Abel offered up a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, uh, Abraham, when he was told to go out to a land which he did not know, went not knowing where he, where he was to go. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, uh, was to offer up his son Isaac when God stayed his hand. By faith, uh, Moses uh, chose to suffer persecution with God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. By faith, Noah moved with fear to, in the preparing of his ark to the saving of his house. So it was always by faith. Now, in the New Testament dispensation, salvation is by faith. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, say Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Having been justified by faith, we found peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans, the fifth chapter, the first verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And whosoever would come to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11 and 6. So salvation has always been by faith. The only difference 
is that God has determined different ways of testing one's faith, trying one's faith. Under the Old Testament dispensation, he tested people's faith in many different ways. But when they were obedient to him, when they had enough faith to be obedient to him, then that faith saved them. In the New Testament dispensation, Jesus says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. People often ask the question, where does baptism come in on salvation? Why does baptism play a part in one's salvation? Well, it plays a part in a salvation, the same as Noah, by faith, moved with fear and built the ark into the, under the saving of his, of his house. It plays a part in our salvation, the same as Abel, by faith, offered up a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. God rejected Cain's sacrifice. It plays the same part in our salvation in, uh, as far as faith is concerned, as faith played under the Old Testament dispensation, only our faith is tested in baptism. Jesus says, if you believe in me, if you really want me to save you, then you must manifest that faith in obedience unto me in baptism. So, that baptism, I imagine, is just a little test of our faith. The easiest thing in all this, in all this world to do is to say, I believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That doesn't take any faith. That doesn't take anything. But when it comes to obeying the Lord in baptism, then living the Christian life to the best of our abilities, that requires some faith. So faith is what saves us. By faith, we are saved. Always been that way. Even though there's been different ways of testing man's faith, it's always been by faith that we're saved. If a person has enough faith in God, if we have enough faith in Jesus and this, this, the Christian dispensation, then we're going to be obedient to Christ. And those people under the Old Testament that had enough faith in God were obedient unto God. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 7 and 21, not all that say unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So love has always been dominant in God's teachings in every dispensation. Well, then why did Jesus call it a new commandment? Why did he say a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another? Well, because in the Christian dispensation, friends and brethren, those of us who live on this side of the cross, those of us who have appropriated the blood of Jesus Christ to our lives through obedience unto him, we are the most blessed, the most privileged people who have ever lived. That's why Jesus says that he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist never knew the privileges and the joys of being a New Testament Christian. He never knew the privileges and the joys of living after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, after Christ died on Calvary's cross, after he shed his all-redeeming blood on behalf of those who would simply be obedient to him and appropriate that blood to their life. So we, under the New Testament dispensation, we have even greater obligations than those who lived under the Old Testament dispensation. Under the Old Testament dispensation, their sins were sort of rolled forward in anticipation of Christ dying and Christ death being also retroactive as far as its expediency is concerned, his blood going back and cleansing all those people under the Old Testament dispensation who lived faithful lives to God. They pushed their sins forward to sense the high priest making atonement for them once a year, but they were never completely and totally forgiven until Jesus died. Well, now, they lived their life in anticipation of their sins being forgiven. We are living our lives in the Christian dispensation, those of us who are in a covenant relationship with the Lord, with the knowledge that our sins have been forgiven. They looked forward to the cross. We look backward to the cross. Therefore, because we live in the dispensation of Christ, the dispensation of Christianity, the dispensation in which Christ has shed his blood, and blood or the dispensation that follows the shedding of Christ's blood, we have greater obligations. 
than any people who ever lived as far as our love is concerned. Our love should be much greater than the love of those people who lived under the Old Testament times. We have the love based on what Jesus did for us. Their love was based on what he was going to do for us. We have our love based on the fact that we have a Savior, a Savior that died for us. Their love was based on the fact that they looked forward to that Savior dying for them, that the Savior was going to die for them. Therefore, because of the great blessings and honors and privileges that come with being a New Testament Christian, our love should be even greater than the love of any people of any other dispensation. Therefore, Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you, a greater love you're going to have to practice because of the fact that you are a people who are living in a Christian dispensation are redeemed people. Jesus hadn't yet died when he uttered these words in John 13 and 34, but he knew that he was to die very shortly, and he knew that his blood would cleanse all of us, all of us people who live on this side of the cross who were obedient unto him. So we have such a greater obligation. Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us, friends and brethren? Well, he loved us enough to give his life for us. Ephesians 5 and 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself forth. Acts 20 and 28, Take heed, brethren, of the flock which the Holy Ghost has made the overseers of, and feed the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. Jesus Christ, friends and brethren, paid the price for you and for me. He died for you and for me. Greater love can no man have than that he would lay down his life for his brethren. I believe that's John 15 and 30. Jesus, 15 and 13. Jesus speaking. Jesus died in your, your stead and my stead. Bore your sins and my sins if we were obedient to him in his body on the tree, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and 24. Jesus loved us enough to pay the supreme price, the supreme sacrifice to make, to give the ultimate, his very life, his human life on our behalf. Now, Jesus says we're supposed to love one another exactly as he loved us. Now, let me say this, friends and brethren, with all the love that's within me. I don't believe there's any other single commandment given by Jesus Christ that has been more ignored than Jesus' commandment in John 13 and 34. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. I don't believe there's any other single commandment that ever fell from the lips of, of the Son of God that has been more ignored by the people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Sometimes, even among Christian people, you'll see bitterness and hatred and envy and everything that shouldn't be in the lives of Christian people, everything that is contrary to the fruits of the Spirit that Paul spoke of in Galatians, the fifth chapter. Sometimes you'll see bitterness and hatred and prejudice amongst, amongst those who claim to be Christians to the point that it's very disturbing. And where you wonder if these people have ever read the Bible or ever have any, had any idea of what God and what Jesus Christ taught on love. First of all, Christian people are supposed to love all men. Paul said in Galatians, the sixth chapter, the tenth verse, to do good to all men, especially those, especially those of the household of faith. Jesus said in Matthew, the fifth chapter, that we're to love our very enemies, to do good to those who persecute you, pray for those who despitefully use you, that you might be called the children of your Father in heaven. Paul says in Romans, the twelfth chapter, the beginning with about the eighteenth verse, where in the nineteenth verse, where vengeance is mine. I won't pay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him to drink. By so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. We are taught to love all people. We are taught that God is the father of all people in the sense that all mankind came from Adam and Eve. 
In Acts 17 and 26, Paul said, Of one blood has God made men of all nations to dwell on this earth. Peter says in Acts 10 and 34, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but all who feareth him and worketh righteousness in every nation are acceptable unto him. The Bible teaches that every human being on the face of this earth comes from God, and we're all, not in the spiritual sense now, but in the physical sense, we're all brothers. Brothers and sisters, all brethren. We all, if we trace our ancestries back far enough, we all go back to Adam and Eve. Every human being on the face of this earth comes from the same mother and the same father, the same original mother and father, Adam and Eve. You never know that, the way some people treat one another, and the way many, sometimes, Christian people treat those of ethnic races and those who are different than them. This was told to me, this story that I'm about to share with you by another preacher. He said that, I think where he was preaching, or at least the place that he's aware of, a black family had come to worship there on the Lord's Day. And a couple went to the elders and said, are you going to ask that black family to leave? The elders said, why, certainly not. We're not here to tell anybody to leave. All people are welcome to worship God with us. This, the church of our Lord is universal. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The couple said, either you ask them to leave or were going to leave. Now, friends and brethren, I don't know whether that couple left. The preacher didn't know whether they had left. He thinks they did leave when the elders refused to ask that black couple to leave. But I'm going to say this. That couple has as gross a misunderstanding of, of the Christian religion as it is possible to have. I don't care if they've been baptized 10,000 times. I don't care if they've, never, if they've never mistaken the Lord's Supper in the last 50 years. I don't care if they've never missed a worship service. I don't care if they give as they've been prospered and give more willingly than 99% of the people in the church. I don't care what they've done. If they refuse to worship God because people of a different nationality or of a different race are worshiping in that same building, those people have as gross a misunderstanding of Christianity as is possible to have. And I don't understand how people can know anything about the Bible and think that they can get to heaven when they have that kind of bitterness and are that prejudiced against God's creatures. Every human being on the face of this earth is a creature of God, made in the image and likeness of God, made in God's spiritual image. Every single being on, human being on the face of this earth has a soul, a spirit instilled in him by God. And how anyone can be so prejudiced against the creatures that God, the people that God himself has created. How can those people possibly hope to get to heaven? John says in 1 John 4 and 20, any man that says he loves God and hates his brother is a liar. How can he love God whom he hasn't seen? If he hates his brother whom he has seen, those black people are our brethren. Physically. We all come, as I've already pointed out, from Adam and Eve. How can one possibly expect to get to heaven hating and being prejudiced against any human being? Look what Paul said over there in 1 Corinthians 13. In the 13th verse, he said, Now abideth faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul says, Love is the absolute essential virtue in the life of every person who hopes to get to heaven. He says, It's more important to have love than to be the most fluent, powerful speaker who ever lived on this earth than to be the most eloquent and persuasive speaker who ever lived on this earth. For Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, 
and have not love, I am nothing. Love is more important than being the most knowledgeable individual on the face of this earth. A man can have all of the knowledge that is possible for a human being to acquire or to hum for a human being to absorb. But if he hasn't got love, it won't mean a thing. Because so Paul says, though I understand all mysteries, though I have all knowledge and have not love, I'm nothing. A man can have the kind of faith that is the greatest faith known to human beings as far as his belief in God is concerned. And if he hasn't got love, it won't do mean a thing when he dies. Because the Apostle Paul said, though I have faith in which I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. One can die the death of a murder, die for the cause of Jesus Christ, and if he doesn't have love, he won't go to heaven if what Paul said is right. Because Paul said, though I would give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. One can bestow every cent that he has on the poor. One can give everything that he owns on this earth to those who are less fortunate to him, to the disenthen him, to the disenfranchised, to the impoverished, and the poor of all races. Won't get him to heaven if he doesn't have love. For Paul said, though I would bestow all of my gifts on the poor, have not love, it profiteth me nothing. We must love all human beings if we're to have any hope of getting to heaven. And then even more than loving all human beings, we must love one another. Heard this story told by a preacher. He said that a elder's son, if I have it correctly now, and a deacon's daughter got married. And the marriage lasted about a year, and they wound up in the divorce courts. And from the day that they wound up in the divorce courts, the elder's family has absolutely nothing to do with the deacon's family, and the deacon's family has nothing to do with the elder's family. He said, if you go visit these two families, all the elder's family wants to do is talk about how bad the deacon's family is, and all the deacon's family wants to do is talk about how bad the elder's family is. And those brethren think they're on their way to heaven. You know, it's tragic enough that the young couple didn't make their marriage work, that their marriage didn't work. Tragic enough that they separated. Tragic enough that they've seriously jeopardized their soul salvation. They're young and they're going to have to live single lives the rest of their life if, they're married, if their divorce was without the scriptural grounds and they place themselves in a very difficult and, uh, situation. That's tragic enough. There should be great sympathy or something. We should be trying to help those people in some way. We should have been doing do something to try to keep those marriages going, warn people of the dangers of marriages and the problems in marriage and all the rest. Now, it's tragic enough that the young couple didn't make that marriage work. But it's even more tragic that their families are using their failure in marriage as an excuse to send their own souls to hell. It's even more tragic that their families are using their failure to make that marriage work as an excuse for them, for them to become unfaithful to God. You don't become bitter and hateful towards any other human being because of anything on this earth. We're supposed to be people of love. We're supposed to be people of concern. We're supposed to be people of compassion. We're supposed to be people who forgive. If ye forgive men their trespasses, so shall the Heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. If ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither shall the Heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Friends and brethren, 
I'm asking you this with all the humbleness that's within me. Why don't we believe those verses? Why don't we believe them? You know, we'll argue vehemently in defense of what the Bible teaches on baptism. We'll argue vehemently in defense of what the Bible teaches on the cessation of miraculous gifts. We'll argue vehemently in defense of what the Bible teaches on the Lord's Supper, on the kind of music God wants in worship, and all the rest of the doctrines of what you can think. Then we'll turn around and ignore completely what the Lord taught on forgiveness, what the Bible teaches on love. Did you ever consider, friends and brethren, that the Lord taught 10, 20 times more on love and forgiveness than he did on baptism? That doesn't make baptism any less important. Baptism is still absolutely essential to one's salvation because it's in his obedience to the Lord in baptism and he contacts the blood of Jesus. But the point I'm trying to make is Jesus put much more emphasis in his ministry on love and forgiveness than he did on baptism. To my knowledge, he taught on baptism twice. Once to an individual, Nicodemus, in John the third chapter when he said, Except a man be born of water and spirit, it's not in the kingdom of heaven. Second time, prior to his ascension back into heaven, when he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The Great Commission. Now, he himself was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, but he wasn't teaching on baptism when he himself was baptized. Jesus spent much, much time preaching and teaching on love forgiveness, telling parable after parable about love and forgiveness to Good Samaritan. That was a parable on love, a man that was of a different uh, nationality as far as the sense that he was of a mixed race, a Samaritan, wasn't an Orthodox Jew, and one that was looked down on by the Jews, and still he helped that man that most scholars feel was a Jew that had been beaten and robbed and helped him when he was in his distress. And in his, having his difficult time, Jesus taught time after time on love and forgiveness so many times that we don't have the, the time to enumerate all of them. How many times should I forgive my brother, Lord? Up to seven times? No. Seventy times seven. Even as you them others do unto you, do ye also unto them. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul. And all thy strength, just time after time after time, he taught on love and forgiveness. And yet so many people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ have no perception of what the Bible teaches on that subject because it's just not a part of their lives. Thirdly, Jesus says that by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. Why did he say that? Why didn't he say it? The world is going to know that you're my disciples because you teach the truth on baptism. Why did he say the world is going to know that you're my disciples because you teach the truth on the Lord's Supper? Why didn't he say the world is going to know that you're my disciples because you teach the truth on the cessation of the miraculous gifts? Why didn't he say the Lord, the people are going to know that you're my disciples because you teach the truth on the kind of music God wants in worship? Why didn't he use one of those examples? Well, here's why I believe he didn't use those examples because he knew, as I think you know and I know, if we'll just uh, analyze it, that the world doesn't care about doctrine. They just don't care. They don't care what the Bible teaches on baptism. The world's attitude is that all religions are the same. They all have a little different interpretation of the Bible, and it doesn't make any difference what interpretation you subscribe to. One interpretation is just as good as another's. That's the way the world looks on religion. They have no interest in what the Bible teaches doctrinally because they say, look at all these different religions that can't agree on what the Bible teaches, so what difference does it make? You believe whatever you want to believe. The world just doesn't care when it comes to doctrine. You know what the world is looking at? 
They're looking at the way those who claim to be Christians treat one another. They're looking at the, the way those who claim to be Christians love one another. They're looking at the way those who claim to be Christians, they're looking at our attitude towards those who are different than us. Those who are of a different nationality, a different uh, background, a different race, those of ethnic races. They're looking at how we act and how we live and what our attitude is toward one another. Now, when they see people who claim to be Christians not speaking with one another, when they see people who claim to be Christians squabbling with one another, but many times over things that don't amount to a roll of beans, nothing but individuals wanting their own way, when they see Christian people who are prejudiced and bigoted towards those of other races, they don't care about what we're teaching doctrinally. They don't even want to hear what we're teaching doctrinally. But when they see people of love, when they see people of compassion, when they see people of concern, when they see people that really believe what Jesus taught on the New Commandment, when they see people that are willing to die for one another, when they see people whose love for one another is unsurpassed anywhere else in all the world, they're going to become interested. They're going to say there's a group of people that are different. There's a group of people that really believe what they're preaching. There's a group of people that are practicing what the Bible teaches on one of the most important subjects in all of the Bible, that of love and our attitudes towards others. Then they're going to come along and say, hey, I want to listen to what you have to say on baptism. I want to hear what you have to say on the Lord's Supper. I want to hear what you have to say on the one faith and the one Lord. I want to hear the doctrine you're preaching, but not, friends and brethren, until they see some love, until they see some compassion, until they see people that really care for one another and people who really love one another and people who are willing to die for one another as Jesus was willing to die for us. You see, friends and brethren, without love, nothing else on the face of this earth matters. Now abideth faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You know, we all need to pray for um, all of us who are New Testament Christians this morning. We need to pray that God will instill some love in our hearts, some compassion, some understanding, so that the church can work together to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and take the gospel lost of this world. And if you're not a New Testament Christian, you need to understand that the Bible teaches you must believe Jesus is the Son of God Repent of your sins, confess Jesus before men, and be baptized into him for the remission of your sins, where you'll contact his blood. That blood will be appropriated to your lives, and you'll be added to the church that we read about in the New Testament. If you love Jesus, you'll do that, because Jesus said in John 14 and 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if we who are Christians, New Testament Christians, really love him, love one another, we'll put into practice the virtues that Jesus Christ taught, and the world will be able to say, they are the true disciples of Jesus Christ because they love one another. Because their love for one another is unsurpassed in this world. Love God first and foremost, friends and brethren. Love your fellow man second only to God and you'll be on the right track. God bless all of you. Thank you so much for watching.